This Week in Startups is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. The Meeting Owl Pro by Owl Labs, a 360-degree smart video conferencing camera that's revolutionizing how companies collaborate. To get $50 off your first Meeting Owl, visit owllabs.com twist, then use offer code TWIST at checkout. And BetterHelp, providing access to easy, affordable, and private professional counseling anytime, anywhere. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash twist. That's betterhelp.com slash twist. The hardest thing to do as a founder in the early days is find a technical co-founder. How many times do you hear that? I can't build my startup. I can't find a developer. I'm up against Google and Facebook paying developers a king's ransom. We're just not competitive. There aren't enough developers in the world. All of that complaining, all of that nonsense is ending because of a movement called no code. And people are combining that no code movement with the lean startup movement, which is a movement to use the most efficient product or service, the most efficient demo, what we call an MVP, minimum viable product, to answer questions about your product. So as an example, if you were going to build a service like calm.com, a meditation app, the minimum viable product could be something like a landing page with a single audio file on it and a video of um, the ocean and just waves coming in and out of Hanalei Bay on Kauai, gentle and relaxing, and then maybe a voiceover. And you could build that in an hour or two. And in fact, that's what Calm did. Calm built the minimum viable product, got people addicted to it, and then added and built on it, answering questions along the way about what their users wanted. This is super efficient, and it keeps you from spending six months building a product only to find out you don't have product market fit. In other words, consumers don't need or want or love the product you've built. And as we all know, startups are about speed. The founders who can run more tests at cheaper prices can learn more than the founders who go on the product death march, building a product in a vacuum for six months, 12 months. That's how we actually used to do it in the 90s and the 80s before that when people were building desktop software. You'd spend two years building a product only to find out nobody wanted it. That is ending because of a movement called no code, N-O-C-O-D-E. If you search for no code or the hashtag no code on something like Twitter, Reddit, uh, or Hacker News, you're going to find tons of people talking about companies like Squarespace, Zapier, Webflow, and, of course, Bubble.io. And the CEO and co-founder of Bubble is Emmanuel Strachnov. Yep. I got it? Yep. Oh, praise Jesus. Strachnov, I got a name right. My dyslexia uh, worked with me today. Um, you heard my little preamble. You've been doing... Um, no code for about seven years. Is that right? Yeah, almost eight now. Almost eight years. And uh, for people who are fans of the show, back in 2011, we had one of the original no code um, products and founders, Anthony from Squarespace on uh, episode 112. In 2016, we had Zapier's uh, founder, Wade. That's episode 626. 
Howie from Airtable, which is kind of can be used as part of NoCo, was on episode 814. And then last year we had Vlad from Webflow on episode 973. So those are all episodes you can go reference in the archive of This Week in Startups uh, over the last decade. And Squarespace was one of the first to make it super easy for non-technical people to build a gorgeous website using templates. And you could really edit these things. And they added shopping. Um, And now we're moving on to this sort of next phase where people are including a little more code. I think you and Webflow are probably the most advanced tools for building websites now. Explain to the audience what you define no-code as and then how you would differentiate, say, what you're doing at Bubble.io with Squarespace versus Zapier versus Webflow. Yeah. So two questions there. So the way we define no-code is um, it's a movement to empower people to do things that used to require code and to empower them to do them to do that without code. And the gain is twofold. The gain is that it's much faster to build because usually the abstraction we're providing is a high-level abstraction. Uh, like what does this mean when you use the word abstraction in this context? What that means is that at the end of the day, what the com- computer is going to consume is, you know, zero and ones. Right. And over the course of the last 40 years of technology, we've been adding layers of abstractions to make it more easy, uh, easier to manipulate for people. Right. So if you write, you know, a web app today in React, you know, you don't talk, you don't write zero and ones, but you're going to write button dot on click, for instance, if you want to trigger a click or something. What we're trying to do with no code is to add another layer. And that new layer is a new thing, uh, which is actually not that new, to be fair. People have tried in the 90s uh, to do this, but I think it was a little bit too early. But of the recent wave, the new abstraction is purely visual, Got it. which means the medium has changed. Like instead of putting your hands on a keyboard and typing, you're going to use a mouse. Right. That's, and so what we see, we see what we're doing as just a natural extension of what has been happening over the last 30 years. In many ways, uh, when you think about the jump from MS-DOS to Windows that happened in the late 80s, right. is no code. You know, right. MS-DOS was code to use a computer, Windows was no code to use a computer. Right. What we're trying to do is about programming. Mm-hmm. And so to get to your second question about how are we different from the other tools, um, in particular early players like Squarespace in the early um, decade, last decade, yep. um, we're going much more for functionality. Ah. Um, functionality has, you know, very customized um, granular behavior. You know, what if the user is logged in and he lives in Paris? What should happen if he lives in London? What should happen or San Francisco? Ah. This Enabling people to define those kind of customized behavior without code is what we do that a lot of players currently don't do. So it means, you know, adding a lot of logic, API connectivity. Like we live in a world where most services now, exp- we can leverage a ton of services via APIs. Uh, for people that are less technical, it's basically a way to leverage another service by making some requests behind the scene, mm. asking you know Stripe to do something, and it returns a response. Um, so we added connectivity uh, to those APIs, a database, and custom logic at a very granular level to empower people to create uh, pretty much anything they want today. Like today, and I, I can honestly think yeah, say that I think we're the only p- people to do that. Mm. You could literally build a product as complicated as Airbnb.com, mm. as, as a web app, you know, on Bubble. Right. Other no-code tools... Without developers. Without developers. I mean, as a Bubble developer, so ah. I will never tell you it's going to take you like a day to do. Right. But you can probably, if you know how to use Bubble very well, you will get to a solid MVP of a Airbnb-type marketplace in a week to 10 days, Hmm. and then you would polish it to get to something really, really powerful, probably in a month or two. And if you were writing the hard code as developers, you're talking about three to six months. 
At least, yes. Yeah. And so a way to look at this might be to say, hey, there was DOS going into uh, something uh, like Windows. So you went from, you know, instead of double clicking on a folder and seeing the files in it and dragging and dropping them around, maybe to a thumb drive or maybe into your email as an attachment, you used to have to do that with commands on the command line. Now um, we have websites that can be built just like using a word processor on Squarespace. But then if there's some uh, even higher level detail, like maybe including a Google map and doing some logic around a Google map or maybe processing payments with Stripe's API, that's the kind of stuff you're building in. Exactly. The next abstraction layer. So next abstraction and a much more customizable mm -hmm. interface and editor. Um, and so the flip side, that there is a little bit of a longer learning curve with us versus some of the other tools. Right. Um, which I think is fine. I mean, it's something we embrace. I mean, when people start using our tool, we tell them it's going to take you, you know, five to 10 hours to learn it, but then you will be pretty much as powerful as if you had been writing code for the last 10 years. Uh, uh, but we embrace this thing that you have to learn the tool. And today we have a bunch of code schools opening, right? Tons of places you can go, General Assembly, Lambda School, et cetera, to spend $20,000, nine months of your life to learn how to be a developer. You're telling me that these same group of people can spend $0, watch a bunch of YouTube videos, and in, let's call it, two weeks of doing projects, build something that would have taken somebody at Lambda School or you know, General Assembly, nine months of education and $20,000 to learn. Yeah, well, um, you, you could also take classes to learn how to use Bubble or other tools. In fact, it's already starting. So I think what's going to happen is that at some point, these coding schools will evolve to the next mainstream technology. Ah. And if it happens to be Bubble, they will teach Bubble. Got it. Uh, the reason why these schools can charge that amount of money is because the market is still not ready to only hire visual developers on Bubble, for instance. Got it. But we so you still call them developers? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do they have to have the aptitude that is necessary to become a traditional coder? Let's go use the word traditional coder. So in other words, if 20% of the population is capable of reasonably getting through a code school, is it now with tools like Bubble or Webflow, 50% of people could get through it in your estimation? College-educated people, let's say? Yeah, so college-educated People definitely, I mean, the way I usually describe when people ask us, how technical do you need to be to use Bubble? Yeah, uh, that's kind of the it, question I'm asking. Right. So if you can build like a family simple budget on Excel, you mm -hmm. know, this is the money we're making this year or this month, and this is how much we need to spend, you know, for housing, yeah. gifts for the kids and everything. If you can build that and understand exactly what you're doing, you can definitely use Bubble. All right. When we get back from this quick break, I want you to show me the product, and I want you to explain to me what impact this will have in the next five to 10 years in the development of startups. And who is embracing your tools today? Is it startups? Is it big companies? Is it developers who are doing consulting? When we get back after this message on this week's startup. Hey, you want to turn your idea into a business? You want to turn it into a website? It's time to get to work. It's 2020, people. You need to think about publishing that beautiful blog or maybe some content, maybe selling products and services on the web, and you want to promote your physical or online business, maybe announce a special event or a special project. I do a lot of events, as you know. Well, Squarespace is the answer. You know this. Your friends use it. I use it. Everybody loves Squarespace because it provides beautiful, customizable templates that are also powerful 
because they have e-commerce built in. Now you don't have to have a beautiful website and e-commerce on the side and figure out how to glue it all together. Nope. You just use Squarespace and you can buy a domain choosing from over 200 extensions. Again, you used to have to go to another site to get your domain. Well, what Squarespace has done is they put this all together with a perfect, beautiful, customizable template. And of course, you know they keep adding features but charging you the same price. So they added search engine optimization. They added analytics. They added free and secure hosting as well as their award-winning 24-hour support. And it's all optimized for mobile. So, you know, you open some websites, you're pinching and zooming, trying to figure out what's going on. Nope, not with Squarespace. It's going to work on your iPad. It's going to work on your desktop. It's going to work well on a widescreen monitor. They just make it look perfect. Here is my associate Presh browsing templates on Squarespace to create a beautiful site. And he makes a photography template and creates a website within minutes. Here it is, superhumanwallpaper.com to showcase superhuman inbox zero images. And you can see how fast he's doing that. Go to squarespace.com right now for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use that offer code TWIST, T-W-I-S-T, and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I know you don't need the discount, maybe, a lot of you, but go ahead and take that 10% so they know that we sent you. Go to squarespace.com right now. It's a great product. And thank you, Squarespace. You're one of the longest supporters of the podcast. And on behalf of the founders who listen and come on the show, I do appreciate that. Okay, let's get back to this episode. All right, welcome back to This Week in Startups, the podcast domain name, thisweekinstartups.com. On Twitter, at TWI Startups. And uh, at the end of the show, uh, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz are going to call in and talk about their latest investments. So stay tuned for the end of the show. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, at TWI Startups. And today on the program, Emmanuel from Bubble, you can go to bubble.io. This is part of my fascination with no code. My interest in this space is not that I want to do this. It's not that I care necessarily about your business, Emmanuel. I'm sure it's going to do well. What I care about is what your business could enable. I love investing in salespeople, uh, marketers, uh, people who understand customers really well, like customer support people. But they have had to, before today, be paired with a developer uh, in order to get funding, in order to get a product to move forward. And the promise of startups being able to get to, say, year two with 250K in revenue without ever having a developer is the greatest unlock I can think of right now for our economy uh, and for entrepreneurship. Do you share in this belief? And then who is using your product? So, yeah, we definitely share in this belief. And this is actually the reason why we started the company in the first place. Mm. Seven years ago, uh, seven and a half years ago, at a time where no code was not a thing. Mm. The reason we started that, because we were in New York, and I think New York was an interesting place for that, where you had a ton of very bright, dumb experts that you mm. just described that were just not able to get their product um, live and test things. They had ideas. They had ideas. And they knew their customers and their market because they were working in fashion, In finance, media, fashion, law. Advertising. A lot of things, exactly. Publishing, Wall Street, New York, capital of the world. And so, and so to, to give you actually the original s story behind the company. Go ahead, origin story. It was, it was not my idea. It was my business partner's ideas, okay. uh, Josh. Right, idea. Shout out, Josh. Uh, yep. And so what happened with him is that uh, he started helping someone uh, that was a domain expert uh, working on a product. And uh, it was for a professional image keyworder. So people that, you know, that put keywords on images. That was before machine learning and before Instagram. It was like back in 2010. Yeah. And so Josh helped him build this product, which turned out to be a great product, but for not that many people, because not many people 
had that profession. Mm. And so eventually, uh, it was not enough to sustain the life of two people, including an engineer, Josh being the engineer, yeah. that is not cheap. Um, and so he, Josh ended quitting, and he ended feeling pretty bad about it because that essentially killed um, like the business, the business start. Right. And when he was reflecting on that experience, he felt like this product really deserved to exist. It was making the life of those people, these professional image keyworder, uh, keywords, definitely better. Mm. And the fact that technology is so expensive is why it was not sustainable. Mm. And so he started thinking, how can we reduce the cost of technology so that, you know, a one person that is a domain expert could actually create something like this and make a living out of it as a, it probably would not be the next Facebook, but could mm. very much be, you know, a good lifestyle business for him and his family. Right. And that was the idea behind Bubble. And so what we're talking to is still the same people today, actually. Like non-technical founders is a major bulk of our users. Mm. Um, and what the pitch we tell them is exactly what we tell them. We don't necessarily t tell them, hey, this is a new way to program. We tell them, this is how you can get ideas off the ground for pretty much nothing except like a few weeks of your time. Mm. And then you can start testing them. All right, let's pull up a demo here, and we'll sportscast it for those of you listening. I see we've pulled up um, so, what is the editor. Right, so that's... It looks to me like some combination of Photoshop or maybe Balsamic, some of those... I would say PowerPoint, but... PowerPoint or Envision. Yeah. PowerPoint's a good one because you have objects and elements uh, on the screen, and so we see here... We're creating a new thing, and the new thing. Is... So what what we saw just earlier is, you know, you kind of build the different elements on the page. So, uh -huh. in the, for instance, a map, an input, a button, and then you program it by creating some workflows, which what we uh -huh. just saw on the screen, and the workflow being, you know, when the user clicks on this button, do this, do this, do that, right. and this, this, and that could be, you know, for instance, create an entry in the database, sign the user up, send an email, connect to Stripe, uh, charge a credit card to Stripe to be mm. more accurate. Uh, delete something, modify something. Right. And we've basically pre-built all those elementary blocks looking at, you know, websites that everybody knows, you know, like Twitter, Facebook, Airbnb. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, you know, all the interactions you could be having as a user. And uh, we felt, uh, we looked into how can we create those elementary Lego blocks, basically, to let people build those workflows. And we don't constrain you in any way uh, in terms of how many workflows you can have on the page. You can have as many actions as you want in each workflow. So that's where you can start becoming extremely customizable. Um, but uh, we got to the point where, back to what I was saying earlier, a website, you know, like Twitter can be mm. built on Bubble just by clicking. Going to take a lot of actions, you know, a lot right. of clicks and everything, but the medium is not going to be writing code. Has anybody built a Twitter clone on Bubble.io yet? Actually, yes. If you go to notrealtwitter.com. Not real Twitter? Not you did real... that as an in internal project to demo? So truth is, I did not do it. Uh, one of our users based in San Francisco did it. Got it. To try. Uh, and did it, does it work? And do you think it could scale? Uh, so it works. I mean, it's not the full Twitter. Like you can right. create accounts, tweets, uh, follow people, retweet, send the direct messages. So that's the core of Twitter. That's hilarious. And um, and does it scale? It would scale probably to a few. Yeah, it can scale to like probably a few hundred thousand users. I'm not going to pretend we could scale today to where uh, Twitter is uh, as a social network. But maybe to a million daily active users or a hundred thousand? A hundred thousand, yeah, definitely. And that's very much um, where all of our engineering work is, by the way. Like most of the work we're doing right now is towards scale. Ah. Because back to uh, the fact that we're mostly going for entrepreneurs, we are 
and that's something very important. We're not trying to build something, you know, uh, to just make MVPs. I don't. Our goal is that there's no difference between, you know, the prototype with the mock-up, the MVP, and the full-scale production uh, software. So the and goal everything is, wants to keep, and we want to keep them all along. Let me restate that back to you. The goal is to have the prototyping software, which could be something like, I guess, people use Balsamic to make mock-ups and Envision, yep. right? Those are the tools for making those. You want to be able to have those. What do they call those mock-up tools? Or yeah, probably. What What are the top ones? I, I know think, Envision. I think, I think Envision has is, the is leading one. the way now. Yeah. Yeah. So I get all the time from my startups. Here's a link to an Envision mock-up of how our next 2.0 app was going to look, and you can actually it's clickable and you can use it on your phone, but it's not the actual app. You want to see the Envision. And then the MVP, which is what Bubble and Webflow and others create, then eventually become the production. And all of that on the same platform. So right now, those three things are done on a, a tool like Envision, then a tool in the middle like NoCode, and then in the final instance, they're done manually on something like Amazon Web Services using some, or maybe Heroku or and something. And using engineers, yeah. And using engineers. The first step seems to be done, Correct. Like the Envision step plus the MVP check. You've you can, done that. You, you can do that on Bubble, yes. You can do that on Bubble. It takes longer because you're actually making something functional. So, But, but overall, it's shorter because you don't redo the work. Correct. But That's yeah. 100%. Now, so we're 100% done with that step, that paradigm shift. The next paradigm shift would be to go into production. And you're how close to being to getting that percent done? 50%, 25%? When will you be done with that when you could say, you know what, this thing could go Twitter to the moon. It could go to a million daily active users or 10 million. So we already had a few major success stories. One of our users in San Francisco has processed over the last four years over a billion dollars of business volume. can get into detail of what they do. It's a fintech company selling loans to homeowners uh, that want to install a solar panel on the roof. They processed over a billion dollars of loans through a bubble built software. You're so that, kidding. No, I'm not. Wow. <laughs> I'm not. That's very real. Because that was literally yeah. my next question is, what's the biggest success story? You can say the name of the company or no? Yeah, I can. It's uh, called Dividend Finance. Um, Dividend? Finance. Finance. We'll pull that up. It's, okay, Dividend um, Finance. So if somebody wants to get a solar array put on their home, right? they can walk through this workflow, do their order. Yeah, I think the business starts more with the installer. So you start with the ah. installer and the installer shows up with an iPad and you apply for a loan. Ah, fantastic. And you get... Um, and so, uh, so the web app How created, long, when did they start building this? So a long time ago, actually, 2014. 2014, so, they the, started building it on Bubble. And they're still running on us today. Wow. And uh, did they just contact you at some point or you just watched the traffic go up? Um, when did you first become aware of them? Well, pretty early on because in 2014, Bubble was not what it is today. Ah. And so at that time, they had to talk to us a little bit to confirm a few things. We had to add some features just at their request. Got it. We, we did invest a lot on that particular relationship because right. we want those success stories. Yeah. And it's actually something we keep doing, honestly. Like when a user emails us and tells us, hey, I have my interview with YC, mm. we are very careful to make sure that things are great for them because right. no code is cool now but it will become a real thing and then I, my goal actually is that no code is not even a thing anymore and just you know development happens through visual interfaces and mm-hmm. we don't even talk about no code yeah will only happen once we start having you know 50 well, percent of the yc batch on, on bubble or like a no code tool what do you think two to three times the number of people will be able to develop five times the number of developers oh, uh, no, no I, I would say 50 the reason is i think for one person that can write good code 
I can think I can I think there are at least 50 people that are wired the right way but just were not exposed to code as a, as kids. So I think the the, the order of magnitude is much bigger than that. Uh, will this lead in 10 years to the demise of the high-paid elite coder and will it create a lowering of developer salaries? Answer that question when we get back on this week at Startups. Are you tired of dull and ineffective meetings? Are you tired of everybody not being able to hear each other or see each other and then getting distracted and doing their email or texting or watching Netflix? Well, I have the tool that's going to get everybody super engaged and I use it every week, multiple times a week. Yes, it's the beautiful, award-winning Meeting Out Pro. This is the new one. I've been waiting for it. It's in this beautiful kind of gray color. It looks gorgeous and it's got that 360-degree camera all these incredible microphones and you know what it does this robotic camera zooms in zip 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 on whoever's talking and it can hear you perfectly so if you're a remote worker like many people are choosing i I tell you right now two out of three people i meet especially millennials they want to work at home and then a lot of gen xers and boomers are like you know what i don't want to live in a city i want to be remote well if you're going to do remote you got to invest in tools and this is the best tool because you're going to have crystal clear audio and sound It feels like you're talking to a group of people and you're in the same conference room, not an empty room. You know that echo. And it plugs and play. Super easy. You can use whatever software you want. Zoom, Skype, Hangouts, BlueJeans, and more. Over 22,000 companies, think about that, from Fortune 100s to startups like mine, investment firms, are using the meeting out because it makes hybrid teams, which we all have now, and remote workers feel like they're all in one location. Uh, And it's made my Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon meetings seamless and super efficient. And here's your call to action. I can't believe they're doing this, but they love the podcast. You're going to get 50 bucks off. 5-0, a fitty for me. Your boy, Jay Cow, is giving you 50 bucks off your first meeting out. Visit owlabs.com slash twist. And use the offer code twist as in This Week in Startups, T-W-I-S-T, at checkout. Go to owlowlabs.com slash twist. It's an amazing product. I use it. I love it. It gets my highest recommendation. And if you talk to anybody who uses it, they'll tell you it's a game changer. It's an awesome product. All right, let's get back to this awesome episode. All right, everybody go check out bubble.io and build a website and then send it to me and I'll give you 100 grand. You spend 12 weeks with me at the Launch Accelerator. And uh, stick around for the end of the episode when uh, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen are calling in to uh, talk about uh, Ben's latest book uh, at the end of the show, a special segment. And uh, my guest today, Emmanuel from Bubble.io, is um, making no-code software. You toiled away for six or seven years. Nobody cared. Nobody funded you. Nobody liked you. We we didn't ask, but... But, but nobody liked you, let's be honest. Nobody would. Our users loved us. Uh, but nobody else. Yeah, but at the end of the day, users... The investors the didn't matters. care. What did fair. they think? Yeah. They didn't like you. Why didn't they like you? What didn't they like about it? They thought it was a crazy dream that would never work? Actually, no. I think they thought it it had already, be, already, already been tried many, ah. many times over and not succeeded. Because, you know, if you think about it, you know, FileMaker Pro and Access were some kind of these tools... Front page does that make sense? Even front page, visual and basic, hot dog, and all of what was Netscape's one? I, Netscape came with a uh, an HTML builder. So these were the WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. HTML builders, exactly, and, and so, they put you in that bucket. 
yeah, I mean, they put you in the, in the bucket of creating things visually. And there is this misconception that we hear from a lot of engineers that, you know, oh, that can't work. It won't be flexible enough. At some point, you need to go lower level. And there's no hard evidence for that, except that in the past, it hasn't worked. And the proof that it hasn't worked, to be honest, is, you know, there has been a lot of attempts of, in mm -hmm. the 90s, early 2000, and we're still teaching JavaScript in coding schools. Right. So that's why I think we got a lot of skepticism in mm -hmm. the early days. Uh, and something has happened over the last six months to last year where more tools, and I take some pride in being one of them, but I think, you know, tools like Webflow and Zapier have also shown that it's actually possible to have non-technical people do real things. And yeah. then the real product, complex things, real, real complex, complex things. business processes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Zapier is the big one for us. When somebody comes to one of our websites like uh, angel.university and they apply to come we have a zap that puts it into a Google sheet that we can retarget people. We can send them an automatic email through MailChimp. We can put them into uh, Typeform and SendGrid and, uh, right. or send them into Slack. We, and we do all this crazy processing that without saves being us technical. without being technical. Yep. And I'm really trying to train our whole team up on how to do all this stuff. And once they learn how to do it, then you've got regular folks not having to talk to developers and lose stuff in translation and, and just build goes, it themselves. And it goes so fast. It goes so much it, faster. It and so it gets fast. done to the specification that matters. And, and what you just said is actually very core in why I think what we're doing has to happen and mm. is important is that people that use the software should be the one building it. Got it. Because a lot of, you just use a lost in translation uh, sentence. Yeah. That is fundamentally the problem with engineering. Yeah. Like so far, engineers most of the time are transcribing what someone else has in, in his mind. But the problem is that the, there are so many degrees in um, dimensions where it could, it could go that it usually goes wrong and yeah. you never have something that you're actually expecting. Yeah. Uh, and so the whole point of these no-code tools is to have, you know, apparent the user to create the product for himself or for people like him. So, you know, if someone wants to solve um, back to this professional image keyword that Josh was working with in the first days, he was building a product for himself and his people ah. in his profession, and he probably would build the best product better than if an engineer would build it. So you think you can have 50 times the number of developers in the world? I hope so, yeah. at least. At least. If there are 50 times more supply of developers, it would follow that developer salaries... And the covetedness of developers, the war for developers would uh, end. But when I ask you this question, you kind of shook your head a little bit. Is why? Because there's just so much demand and there's so much software to be made that it doesn't matter if we had 50 times, we still don't have enough? Yes. Like Mark Andreessen, you know, says software is eating the world. It's yeah. only starting. There are so many places where technology is not being used because of the lack of engineering. Yeah. Like, I, I don't worry for engineers. Engineers will always make a very good living. And in fact, if I wanted to, honestly, when I see, you know, companies like Uber and Lyft, great companies having thousands of engineers where they essentially do a very similar product, that makes me really, really sad. Like, right. this is amazing talents they have to replicate Similar things. These people should be working on new things and right. solving real, I mean, they solve a problem and, you know, well, maybe it's solving the environment problem that does require probably writing very smart code. So I think right now we have a tendency where we see engineers mostly in some kind of businesses where we think code is needed. But if we were to actually free them, free startups from needing too many of them in that field, people that can write, you know, good code to solve complex problems will be useful in any dimension of the world and probably make the world a much better place. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that um, my feeling is everybody is going to have, you know, a third of the coding skills of the coding class. So it, instead of it being that we're going to increase the number of coders, 
dramatically. That I think that will occur as well. But there's also the possibility that just a third of what coders do right now will go downstream to people who are non-coders. So essentially, the repetitive you know, stuff that developers probably don't enjoy doing anyway will just move down. In the same way, when you had to do a mail merge back in the day, that was done by some technical person. And then mail merge got built into Microsoft Word or something. Exactly. And, and now, you know, uh, the first year at a college student or the two-year associate degree receptionist, you can just walk past the receptionist and say, can you do a mail merge and send this to 100 people? And they're like, of course I can. Yep. And that used to be the height of like a technological project in the 80s was to do a mail merge hmm. and send, you know, 100 letters automatically. That was what developers were doing back then. And, and that's why I think engineers should be extremely excited about no code, actually, because the true, you know, point of technology is to increase leverage, how mm -hmm. much you can do with the same number of hands. Yeah. Well, you know, engineers should be all in favor of, you know, sparing them of the repetitive tasks that can be done uh, by no coders or visual developers and focus on the more innovative stuff. What um, what changed in this you know six year lonely journey of you just obsessing with your customers and believing in this product in the face of investors not caring, and then last year, what changed? Did they did they start contacting you or did you start charging your customers and you started making ten or fifty k a month? What do no, you charge for the software? Uh, so I mean, it scales with how much uh, usage you have. Okay, it's, so it's, based it's on very usage. free actually. We have a very generous freemium because we want people to learn. I want low friction. We have a lot Got of it. people in college. So it's free to, to start. Us. Anybody can start, go use it right now. Build. If you want to start using your own domain name and not have a bubble branded banner at the bottom, Got it. it's going to cost you. It starts at twenty nine dollars a month. Great. And then so it can for as up. little as three hundred sixty dollars a year, you can actually do an unbranded site. And if you want to give a little branding to Bubble and use the URL, exactly. it's still free. It's free, free yeah. Does it cap the free at some usage? Or if somebody built something that got a million people a day, you'd still want it to be free so you get so the, the logo? So the way it works is that we rate limit how much CPU time you can use. Ah. So it will get a little, it will get slower. If, you, if you're on a free plan and have a million users a day, it's going to be very slow. Got it. And then you can add more capacity. Got so it. a little bit similar to what AWS would do. Basically. Of the paid users, what's the median spend per year? And uh, what are the number of users about like ballpark? $800 a year. Got roughly. it. So this is still in the what we would call the Soho small office home office or SMB kind of space, startup space. Defsumer, startup space, yeah. prosumer, I guess Got is it. how we would call it. And if we project out in five years, what do you think the average spend of those people will be? It's actually a tricky question because I hope that some of them, we've a little, little bit like a VC model, you know, like a lot of our users never really grow because honestly, the startups are not necessarily working very well. Right. And then some of them can go much better. I think today's the highest monthly payment we have is $8,000 oh, wow. a month. Oh, wow. So $100,000 a year client. That's amazing. Right. But we, we honestly, we probably save them half a million bucks in engineering talent. So right. know, they're doing, uh, they're pretty happy. Mm -hmm. um, so it will go up with some people, but I also hope that at some point our reach with, uh, New people that try is, try things uh, is getting uh, much bigger, and so maybe the average will not go up. Mm. What, what I'm care more is that the number of active uh, builders on the platform. And VC started knocking on your door when no code started getting buzz, or you decided, you know what, let's go out and see if we can raise money because I know so you raised a six million dollar seed in 2019, your seventh year. Right. Most so people raise the seed in the second year. We decided to raise. Uh, so first of all, we were profitable all this time. So Amazing. we we actually reached With what, uh, five full time employees, ten. Uh, no, so it was just the two of us for five years. So, and we started putting a team together in 2017. 
Mm. And we were profitable with about 10 people, yes, oh, that's great. Uh, before we raised the money. Um, we decided to raise money. We felt like we were, it was not necessarily a competitive landscape thing. It was more like we felt we were ready to have like a larger scale. Um, and so we went to go to CVCs. When we raised, because we raised exactly a year ago, that was in February of last year, mm. no code was not really a thing at that point. Who, who, did somebody lead that round or is it just a party? Yeah, a uh, fund called SignalFire based in. Oh, SignalFire, I've heard si- of them. Yeah, SignalFire um, re- lead, led the round. Yeah. yeah. And now, since then, with Webflow going bonkers, is everybody knocking on your door now? Are you getting like too much attention from VCs? That's typically what happens. You I, go I get feast a lo- or famine. I, I get a lot of emails lately. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like, "Can we meet? Can we just throw ten million dollars at this? We need to have a no-code company." Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I believe in very. We're very ambitious, and we take risks on the technology side. So yeah. I believe in being a little bit conservative on the financing side. Yeah, you I know. think uh, it can harm businesses. W- w- one thing I'll say for sure is that had we raised the seed round very early on, I don't think I would be here today. Why? Because it's a very slow development uh, cycle to build a product, to get to overcome that skepticism. Mm. Overcoming that skepticism means, well, first of all, finding people that really need your platform and are willing to work on a product that is pretty limited at first, mm. improving it. Like you're not going to have exponential uh, curves in terms of user acquisition, right. I think, for the first five to six years. Got and it. so you don't want to, except if you have like a reputation that puts you in a situation to tell investors, hey, trust me, in seven years, it's going to be great. Yeah. But we were nobodies. You know, we yeah. were like unknown. And by the way, look at Webflow's trajectory. I mean, they actually did bootstrap. I mean, they bootstrap raised- Bootstrap for a long time. They, bootstrap, they raised the seed, seed round and then they bootstrap until six yeah. months ago. Sometimes things take time and venture capital is not patient capital. It's yep. impatient capital, which is- kind of the point if you're taking jet fuel it's not to take a leisurely ride around the park on a bicycle yeah i wouldn't say it was a leisurely ride but it was a very focused ride yeah like honestly the first two years i think i was we had like 30 users huh but they were on the platform like 12 hours a day Right. And completely building their businesses on us. One of them after uh, f- three years being that company I just mentioned, like the dividend finance business. All right. When we get back from this final break, uh, tell us uh, what is the primary use case today and how you stack up to a juggernaut like, say, Shopify. Are people using it for e-commerce or is it for other applications when we get back on this week in startups? Would you hesitate to go to the doctor if you broke your arm? You know, maybe take one of these scooters around, electric scooters, you're going too fast. Of course not. Well, your mental health requires the same attention. BetterHelp is the world's largest counseling service for improving your mental health. And let me tell you something, if you're a founder, you might get anxiety, you could get depression, you could get confused. You're going to need somebody, a sounding board, right? Well, BetterHelp will help you by assessing your needs and then matching you with a counselor from their network of licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapists. You can start your communication with a therapist in under 24 hours. You do not need to suffer. You don't need to be alone. You can go talk to somebody. And it's not a crisis line. That's not what we're talking about here. And it's not self-help. You got books for that. It is a professional counseling session done securely online. With BetterHelp, you can access a counselor network with a broad range of expertise. They got everybody. And avoid the nine to five of traditional therapy and message your counselor anytime. Easily change counselors if you need one, right? And they don't charge you for that. And you can schedule video and phone sessions with your personal counselor. You can also text with them. That's cool. Messaging. You'll never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. 
Instead, get therapy from the comfort of your own home for far less than traditional counseling. I went through the sign-up process because I'm dealing with some stuff. Even J-Cal has to deal with some stuff. And I went to BetterHelp and I went through the process and it's amazing how quickly you get set up with somebody great. So BetterHelp's mission is to provide everyone with easy, affordable, and private access to professional counseling anytime, anywhere. You can get started today, right now. Do not delay uh, working on your mental health. It is critically important. This week in Startup listeners will get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash twist or use the code twist at checkout. That's betterhelp.com slash twist for 10% off your first month. Thank you to BetterHelp for providing great service to founders and for supporting this week in startups, which also supports founders as well. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, final segment here. We're going around the horn uh, and then uh, we'll get uh, Ben Horowitz on the line and uh, Mark Andreessen talk about the latest book. Uh, Emmanuel is here from bubble.io been doing it for seven years and uh they raised six million dollars last year got what 20 people now 15 20 people 22 people 22 people so it's about to get miserable when you hit 30 then you gets yeah. hard it, it's great I, i'm discovering Keep it under 30 i'm discovering a lot of new i'm developing new skills now management skills yep yeah you have to like actually talk to people and make check in with them take them for walk and talks and essentially yep. now it's like if you have 22 people Every month, each every month, half the people have either a really serious personal issue that they're contending with, or a professional one. So you're basically got a dozen to two dozen serious problems, and the, you know what the the worst part is? You're only aware of like ten percent of them because they don't tell you. Probably, yeah. It's brutal. It, it because, management mm. is so hard. I went to this Bloomberg uh, fundraiser last night. Not fundraiser. He's not taking any money. Just He just had a cocktail party to talk about what he wants to do as president. And you just think about how much management experience he has. And he said, you know, this job is just all about management. And that's what happens when you get past 20, 30 people. It's, it's no longer about just the customers and the product. It's about managing the people who focus on the customers yeah, but, and the product. But also that creates leverage to you as a founder. So. Of course. If you can add those management skills, which... Mm. As a developer, you kind of have the opposite of management skills. You have focused, introverted skills like on the screen. So you got to add them. Mm. Have you been learning them or did you just have them naturally? Oh, yeah, the management skills? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely learning on the job. Yeah. Um, How's that going? I think Josh and I, I mean, Josh used to work at Bridgewater. I was, I was, oh, oh, he worked at Bridgewater? Right. So he saw that management, some management practices firsthand. Those management practices are insane, right? Like they're just. Right. So he saw what. They is, brutalize each other. Isn't that the idea? They're very, they're very open with each other. Uh, yeah, I mean, open would way. be the kind way to say it. I thought that their whole concept was to just absolutely brutalize each other to make them each other better. I think it's it's about like very direct feedback, which sometimes can be bad and can can be good. Right. Uh, we're not necessarily applying oh, everything from Bridgewater, yeah. but there are a few things actually that uh, like what, like uh, the directness in feedback is something that we actually. How do you value get people lot. to give direct feedback? How do you get them to not couch it? And sugarcoat it, and then how do you get people to not be devastated when they get well by uh, by when someone actually give rough feedback, especially to his manager or even the founder? We actually oh. say, oh, if that was smart, good point, you know, yeah. and then you can tell them that this is the right thing to do when they see problems. Got it. Uh, so that's how you tr we try to do this. And on my side, you know, I was in business school, so I was exposed. I mean, an MBA doesn't necessarily teaches you uh, teach you how to manage people, but it certainly exposes you to some of the principles you should be thinking about in your mind what is great management uh well it's finding ways to people do 
better than they even thought they could uh, ah, on the job. Got it. Um, and it's a, it's a battle. I mean, it's hard. Like sometimes, yeah. you know, creating the conditions for them to express themselves in a way that uh, yeah. they didn't even expect. I think that's a pretty pretty good definition. I mean, if you can inspire and support people to do their best work, even if you push them a little bit and the challenges are very hard, the right people will enjoy that. They will react very well. They will react very well to it because if you're pushing people to do their best work and you're creating an environment that supports them, then even if it's hard at times, they can look back at the time they worked for you and say, I did my best work there. And I'm a hard boss uh, or have been traditionally. Maybe I'm a little soft now, but almost universally people tell me like I was pretty hardcore, but that they're so proud of the work they did and they went to other places and the people just didn't work as hard and the work wasn't as good. And so they felt like those years were kind of lost years. I don't think people like to lose years on average work. Or at least not exceptional people. They don't like lose days either, honestly. Yeah. People don't like to go home thinking, oh, what did I do today? Yeah. I created my, I I was tired of managing people. So I created the most lightweight management tool. I call it the EOD, the end of day report. Mm -hmm. And so I just tell people at the end of the day, before you leave, send in short email to the team or dump it in Slack of the three or four bullet points of what you got accomplished that day. And then some people kind of added to it. And they said, in the morning, I write an email about what I want to send at the end of the day, what I hope to accomplish. And then during the day, I keep that email up on my monitor. And oh, here it is. Yeah, the power of the EOD report. I wrote a, I wrote a blog post called Lean Management, the power of the EOD report. And let me tell you something. You asked people to spend five minutes writing this EOD report. It was amazing to me. There were like maybe two people on the staff who just would forget to write them or didn't write them or found it oppressive to write five minutes. And then we looked at what they actually did all day. And it turns out they weren't getting stuff done. And then for the people who were getting stuff done, they loved writing them. They loved seeing their accomplishment. They loved seeing what they contributed to the team. They didn't find it oppressive at all. They, they felt like they were getting their recognition mm. and they felt good about their work. And then the big unlock for me was when people left, we could look at their last two weeks of EODs and say, what did they accomplish over this two-week period? What did we pay them in that pay period? And is there a better way to do that? And if you looked at what somebody did over two weeks and you paid them, I don't know, $3,000 all in, they were a 70K employee or 80K employee, you could say, I wonder if I could outsource that and get a better result for the same amount of money or if I could automate it with Zapier or Bubble, right? And it turned out like there were people whose job was like reading email and being in Slack and opening up packages. And you're like, why am I spending money on this? They're not actually moving the needle forward. It's not a perfect system, but for certain people, it's the perfect system. People who want to be left alone. Some people want to be micromanaged. Most people want to be left alone. Um, what is the uh, – and we'll, uh, we'll put a link to that uh, blog post in the show notes. Uh, what, what is the use case today, the most popular use case? Because I know you're up against Shopify, and Squarespace now does that. So I would assume building a beautiful website and building an e-commerce store – that's hard for you to compete in that area. Yeah, that's not our core. That's not your core. That's not our core. What is the core now? What is the beachhead? Is our it core, marketplaces? Yeah, so our core is really, you know, whenever today you out of luck with existing tools, you know, like Squarespace, Shopify, or Webflow, when you think, oh, I really need to find a tech co-founder to build this, hmm. that's where we come in. Got it. And so we're mostly web. Some people use us native, but it's not something that... When you uh, say native, you mean native web. G- generating native applications. Yeah, so you so wrap we, this in. You wrap right, so some people do this, but we really, we're much better to do that for the web. <laughs> so someone that wants to build a web-based 
business uh, where the website is the core of the product that you're selling. Mm. Like if Shopify, if you sell physical goods, that's what you're going to be selling. The core of the business is actually selling the good, not the website to sell them, right. if, you, if you see what I mean. So practically, that's going to be, you know, fall under three categories, going to be marketplaces of some kind, social networks of some kinds, you know, like connecting people that care about the same thing, like a dribble behance type of things, for instance, yeah. uh, or productivity tools that you sell on a SaaS basis to automate something. So we have people that have built, you know, an invoicing tool for freelancers that is different from some of the existing tools tailored for one type of freelancer, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, someone built a marketplace, you know, for docs on um, on the port, uh, harbor mm-hmm. so that you can share the docs while you boat. Um, these kind of things, yeah. Ah. Um, and but so- uh, w- one thing I'll say that Bubble is so open-ended that it's not like we have a marketplace template, you know? You start really from a white page. You think about, you know, the, data- the database you want to put in place uh, for your marketplace mm-hmm. and whether you're selling an apartment, a dock, um, whether it's, you know, a Upwork type of marketplace where you sell a job, um, publish a job, it kind of is irrelevant for Bubble because we're a little bit uh, lower level than this. Mm-hmm. So that's how open-ended it is. So it's really open-ended. I noticed, you know, before the show, we were looking for a demo video and there's just thousands of them or hundreds to thousands of them on uh, YouTube on how to build bubble sites, uh, how to build no-code sites in general. Do you have a no-code school? Do you have a no-code training program? I see people kind of buzzing around this. So, um, And how important is education right now for you? So great question. Education is critical. Probably more so for us than some other tools because we're more flexible. So flexibility comes with the ability to make mistakes. So it requires education. Right. Now, because of our bootstrapping history, we've outsourced a lot of that effort to the community. Mm. So if you go to our forum, for instance, you sit in forums that are extremely active where people help each other. And a lot of the videos uh, we were looking at on YouTube like a minute ago were actually not built by us. Mm. Uh, so it is critical, but it's something that the community has been doing on our behalf, mm-hmm. um, which is great, by the way. I mean, this is the best way to grow. We're probably going to look into like internalizing that a little bit yeah. to have like one set curriculum uh to you know, um, make sure that everybody starts on the right foot. But I do believe that uh, to create a successful thing like Bubble, you need a lot of users and create an ecosystem of you know freelancers, contributors, uh, and so you need to create this thing where people will actually start teaching other people how to. Do you have a them. marketplace of the experts on the on the project? Because I would assume if somebody like me comes along and we have the syndicate.com, we've been coding up with traditional coders, and it's been a little bit slow, um, and we've been building up. Uh, you know, basically not an angelist competitor, but more of a coexister, like just a place where we can share deals with people and maybe automate it a little bit. Uh, but it was kind of, we started before the no-code thing and, you know, weren't really thinking of that. Um, but if I wanted to hire a no-code developer or a no-code consultant. We, we have a directory. Uh, yeah. Oh, you have a directory? Yeah. What to. do they charge per hour? Is it honestly, half of honestly, what? It, it depends. I mean, there is one company that's great. It's based in San Francisco. Another one that is also very good in Moldavia, Eastern Europe. Yeah. They're charging very different prices because of what cost are the, of What really. are the rates? I'm just curious. And, um, and how do they compare to straight up development shops? Um, so I think the one I can think of in San Francisco would do a sprint over two weeks for probably 5K. Mm. So it's not that different from code. However, you yeah. get the f- completed product after two weeks. Got it. Like that's where actually they, they don't necessarily try to, when they're based in San Francisco, for instance, they don't necessarily try to uh, compete on the rate, but they can deliver things way faster. Got it. Um, and so you end up being, I think, 50 times cheaper, honestly. It's like wow. what, what we hear from users, like sometimes we get users emailing us, say, hey, you know, I was using an agency and I'm using Bubble. They mention a price difference 
between 10 to 15 times cheaper. Um, so they were going to do a 150K project and the no-code came in at 10. Yeah, so exactly. Which means the no-code got done in a month and the code might have taken six months. Exactly. So that's exactly Something what like it that. is. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, continued success with it. Um, I know you're hiring. Yep. Uh, and so your your first name is Emmanuel and people know how to spell that. And I'm going to guess you have Emmanuel at bubble.io as your email. Yep. Uh, listen, continued success with it. And uh, yeah, apologies to uh, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen who were supposed to get on the line um, and have them talk about their new book. But we ran out of time. We're going to uh, try to fit you in next time, uh, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. We'll get you on the line next time, Mark and Ben. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to run out of time, but the interview with Emmanuel went so well. All right. We'll see you all next time on this week's service. Bye-bye.